Well, good morning to each of you. It is a privilege to be here today. We um, enjoy coming to the Pike at times other than conference and ministers' meetings and such as that. It's good to see your congregation here together. Uh, first off, I would like to uh, just express a happy Mother's Day to the mothers who are here and uh, to those who... You know, sometimes we have those in the group that, and I don't know what your situation is here, but sometimes we have those who are not mothers, but they've been very motherly. I think of Doris Grider, uh, for one. Uh, they, of course, spent a, a good bit of time at our congregation in Ebenezer, and she was one who was, she was not a, a biological mother to anyone, but she was a mother to many people and a lot of children. And so, uh, yeah, happy Mother's Day to you all. I'm blessed to... I have my mother still living at 88 years old. She's still in good health. All of her siblings have gone on to be with the Lord, and yet she is. Uh, we're blessed to have her with us. <clears throat> this morning for a message, um, I would like for us to uh, begin at John chapter 17. I noticed uh, in our Sunday school lesson, we uh, looked at a few verses in John 17 and in the uh, brother in the opening shared from John 18. We're going to go back to John 17 and look at another passage. Um, now, the entire uh, chapter of, of John 17, we call it Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, and it was a prayer that he prayed at, that, that went uh, to some great lengths. Um, it was much different than the time when, if you recall, the disciples asked Jesus early on, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and he, he uh, then prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. And I've always been uh, kind of intrigued by the simplicity of that prayer. Um, it's, it's a very kind of a simple uh, message. And, uh, but yet it's, it is real and is something our Lord prayed. But we come to John 17, we, we see a different prayer. And uh, I'm not going to spend just a whole lot of time here. We'll look at one little uh, section of verses and we'll come back to it later. Um, and the, the, the two verses I'm going to begin with is verse 20 and 21. And I'm reading from the uh, New King James this morning. I do not pray that these alone, for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The uh, title of the message, if, if you like titles, is found here in verse 21, that they all may be one. I like for us to think about unity and particularly within our churches, our, our congregations, our local uh, bodies here this morning. Um, over the past two years, we have observed some very unfortunate things happen in churches in relation to disunity. Um, I have seen congregations, 
conservative Mennonite congregations literally split apart over issues of um, the virus and mandates and so forth. And um, I, f I find that very concerning because that's not the will of the Lord. He prayed, he said, that you may all be one. Now, um, in this issue of unity, we, we have to ask ourselves some, some questions, and I'll get to those in just a moment, but this, this desire for unity goes, goes back before uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer here for, for us, for the church. Um, David realized it in, in Psalm 133. He said this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life evermore. And, um, you know, I don't know what, if, if that word picture does anything to you or not, but seeing oil dripping off the beard of Aaron does not really uh, bring about warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, but for David, it was something special, and it, it demonstrated unity, the unity of worship, of worshiping God, of coming together. Because you see, in David's experience in the Old Testament, that identified worship. The, the high priest being anointed with oil and coming into the presence of the Lord, that was, it just warmed his heart to see that and to see uh, people joining together to worship. Well, the early church also saw the value of unity. In Acts 4.32, we read, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And so in the early church, there was a, a level of unity there that um, I'm not sure we experience. I know there's some groups that have tried to do this. They said, we're going to be like the church in Acts. We're just going to have, you know, all things in common. Everybody bring your, your money, expose your bank accounts, and let's just make it all one big pool. And... Um, well, frankly, it didn't work out very well. Is, is that what unity is? Well, for the church in Acts, that was a level of unity. There was some beauty in that as that occurred. And I'm not here to say that, that that's what needs to occur today. Paul also wrote this in Romans. Uh, in fact, he mentioned it several places. I'm going to mention three of them. In Romans 15, 5 to 6, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what, what, where he, what he brings in here in this issue of unity. It is according to Christ Jesus that we with one mouth one, one mind in our thinking, we glorify the Lord Jesus. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, he said this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Notice how many times the word one is used. All of these ones, that's, that's unity. In Philippians 2, 2, Paul also writes, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so Paul made it very clear in his writings the importance of unity in the church, in, in the body of Christ, in believers. So some of the questions that may come to mind when we think about unity, what is it? What does it look like? Um, the word unity, we, we get the word, um, from that word, we get the word unanimous. Um, and you know when sometimes we have conference, there may be a vote on an issue and the moderator may say, well, that, that was unanimous when he had a vote. And that kind of gives you a good feeling. Everybody's, we're all together. We're in unity. Uh, sometimes he may say, uh, well, it was almost unanimous. And, uh, you know, you can take that for what it's worth. Uh, sometimes there are issues that are not unanimous. And, and sometimes we have to go back and go to work and, and to figure out those differences. But we, we like unity. Uh, we like that, that oneness that unity implies. And that should be the goal that we want to achieve in church and in church life and in the brotherhood um, as we work together. Now, um, what, what, does, what does unity look like? Does it mean that we are all going to agree on all points, that unless we can come to unanimous decisions that we're not unified. Is that, is that really what it means? Um, does it mean that we all act alike, that we behave alike, that we all dress alike? Is that what unity is? Uh, is, is it somehow that we all become some sort of a, a cookie cutter a church where we're all made out of the same mold and we all look alike. You know, sometimes that's the issues that that people run into. It, per, perhaps it can be easier done in in communities and cultures where everyone was sort of brought up in the same culture um, and environment. You can sort of get that that uh, type of unity. But I'm here to tell you, if you start working in other cultures and other, uh, with other people of different church backgrounds, you're not going to achieve that kind of unity. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, I, I, I'd have to check the numbers here, but I think a majority of the people, or close to 50%, maybe more, of the people that attend our church at Caswell regularly are not from Mennonite background. And, and so we, we don't uh, work with some of the same things that people in, in large Mennonite communities work with. And, and you're, you are not going to have that kind of cookie cutter people. But I contend that you can still have unity. And I'm blessed with the unity that we have even though there's people that think different and they talk different, and they, they say things differently. Sometimes they may say things on the floor at church that I would never dream of saying. 
but it's because of the, the differences that they've, they've come up, you know, they've been brought up with, but yet there is still a, a balance and a unity. So, you know, these questions that I'm asking, you know, what does it look like? I, I think they're rhetorical. They, the answer obviously is, is no. Those are not the things that bring unity to a church because we're all different. We all are unique. We all have, even in your Mennonite communities, if you will, if you want to take that um, example further, people are all different. There are differences within your own families. There's differences among my own children. And it's amazing sometimes to see the different personalities that come in the same family. Some are very outgoing. Some are very reserved, and yet they're all the same flesh and blood. So God has made us unique. God has made us as individuals, and, and, and we express ourselves in different ways, and, and people think differently. I was uh, just thoroughly enjoying the discussion in Sunday school class this morning. I didn't talk much, but I just enjoyed just listening to the different perspectives of, 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 you know, how people view uh, some of the issues that, that we're facing and that we see. Uh, Paul addresses these differences in uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Let, let's turn there. I want to spend some time uh, here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, he talks about how, how some of these uh, differences come about within the church. Uh, beginning at verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it had been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those at Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Thank you. <clears throat> Now, um, it's interesting, here we look at some of the things that Paul is addressing and some of the differences that, that this church at Corinth were facing. By the way, you do a little study on the, the, the Corinthian church, uh, they had some pretty major issues, um, and, and this was just one of them. And, and this issue of who they were following, Apollos, Cephas, Paul, Christ, you know, everybody had their, their things and, and it was causing divisions. And you know, 
uh, th there are certain things that, that, that unifies a group. And I want us to think this morning, you know, what, what are the issues? What are the, the principles that, that unify the church, our church, our congregations? Um, if, you, uh, if you have a fire department, they, they have an organization. There's something that unifies these people. You may find all different kinds of people that, that uh, join the fire department, um, but yet they have a common goal, and that is to, to put out fires to protect property. That's, that's what brings them together. Um, down our way, we have different civic organizations like uh, the Ruritans, for instance. And they have a common goal, meeting um, humanitarian needs in the, in the local area. Um, and, and that's what brings them together. That's what unifies them because all these people are interested in doing that. And so it brings them together. But they have a diversity of people all different kinds of people, but they all come together for that one goal. So what is it that brings about the unity in the church? Well, here's some things that, that I just read in, in these verses in 1 Corinthians, and I just want to highlight a couple of them. Paul said, number one, speak the same thing. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we recite phrases and we always say those very same phrases, what I understand that to mean it is we need to have the same voice. We need to have the same message that's coming from our church. We as, as congregants need to understand that, that there must be a unity in the message that we're speaking to, to those around us in our community, the people that are watching and interacting with us, that we have uh, the same voice. Uh, do they get the same feelings from, from each of you in relation to things like non-resistance, uh, things like non-conformity, uh, other doctrines that, that we believe the Bible teaches, do they get that same voice? Are we speaking the same thing? Do we, are we clear and understand each other on those important issues? Do we speak the same thing? Secondly, he said, there should be no divisions among you. Uh, and I want to dive into this one just a little bit uh, deeper. Um, this, this phrase, no divisions, comes from a, uh, a Greek word. And, um, and I'll say right off the, the bat, I, I am not a Greek student. I don't know Greek. Uh, but I think it's important to kind of dive into it a little bit so we can understand uh, some of the words that we have in our English Bibles. Um, the, uh, the Greek scholar W.E. Vine made four distinct steps of, of how we understand this this term of division. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Um, and we kind of go through these in, in uh, a stage of, of uh, severity, if you will. Uh, the first one is the Greek, it comes from the Greek word stasis. We get the, the English word stasis. This would be um, a sort of a strong disagreement. The word is actually used in the the time when Paul and Barnabas had that little disagreement with themselves. You know, it said the contention became great. They parted ways. Uh, there was a division. Now, we could, we could debate that a while. Was that necessarily wrong? Did any one of them commit a sin? We'd probably conclude that, that not necessarily. They had, a, they had a disagreement. They had a stasis. And, and 
it was okay. It, it all worked out. And in fact, in the future, it worked out for the better. And so they had that, that uh, little dissension, if you will. The second uh, level that he highlights is, comes from the word uh, dicostasia, which is a little bit more than a disagreement, but it actually sort of identifies a person who causes the disagreement. It's not just something like Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement come up, but maybe somebody went in there and caused it. They caused the disagreement. Uh, and that is actually that Greek word is actually used in Romans 16, verse 17, where he said, mark them which cause divisions. Watch out, in other words, watch out for those in the church, in the group who, who cause divisions. So it's a little bit more severe. The third one is uh, schisma. <clears throat> and this is a little bit more uh, severe. It, it, it really means a, a severe rending or tearing, tearing apart. It's actually used um, when Jesus was giving the parable <clears throat> of the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of, of using the unshrunk cloth on an old garment. He said, you know, you don't do that because if you do, then, then the, uh, the new garment, the, the new material is going to shrink and it's going to tear. It's going to rend. It's going to tear it apart. Um, Paul used it. He said, there should be no schism in the body in 1 Corinthians 12. That there be no schism in the body, the body of Christ. So that is a tearing apart when, when there is actually division that has happened. When people have are going their separate ways. They said, I've had enough that's a, a, a tearing apart, something that we really don't want to see. <clears throat> and then the fourth one is uh, heresis, which is more of a mature and established separation we get the word heresy from. And uh, that word is used in 2 Peter 2, 1, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And so that is a, a complete uh, separation and, dis, and, and utter destruction. Uh, so Vine sort of identifies those, those four things. The third one, the schisma, the schism, is the one that I want us to think about because that's the one that is used here in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, where Paul said, but be perfectly joined together. That phrase, perfectly joined together. Um, that's, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's another Greek word. Let me back up. The, the schisma is what Paul is suggesting that the church in Corinth is, 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 a, is about to happen that their, their, their disagreement has gotten so severe about who they're following, Paul, Apollos, that he said, it's almost ready to tear you apart. He said, don't let that happen. But he says, be perfectly joined together. Now that phrase comes from the Greek word, uh, a single Greek word, kartizo. And that word's been used in uh, three other important New Testament passages. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. 
And so here the worlds are framed. That is cartetizo. It is, is put together. When God created the world, he, he put everything together perfectly. The, the timing and, and the seasons and how everything works perfectly together. That's, that's uh, cartetizo. It's also used in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Here the, world, the, the word prepared is cartetizo. Uh, Jesus' body was, was prepared for, for that purpose. It was prepared for him to, to, to go to the earth and, and to live and to offer himself as a sacrifice. He was, he was prepared for that. And the third time is in Matthew 4.21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. I was thinking maybe I should just ask you which one you think it is, and that one is Cartetizo. Well, if you said mending, then that's it. Mending their nets, putting them together, being joined together, that's, that's Cartetizo. And so that's the one that, that I want us to, to think about here for just a moment. The, the point of all of these examples is this, is that God desires that we be unified, that we be knit together. As Paul said, perfectly joined together. Cartetizo, knit together as, as perfectly as, as uh, the heavens are knit together as perfectly as the world and, and the planets and the stars and, and, and all of the universe, how it's all fit together in unity and it, it operates. That's how we are to fit together. We're also to be fit together as perfectly as God formed the body of Jesus. We're to be perfectly mended just as a net is. As those fishermen sat there and they... They laced together whatever they did to, to fix those nets that were torn apart. They put them back together so that they would be functional, so that they would be useful. And the, the thing that I find so fascinating with this illustration is that's what describes us so well. It describes people who are imperfect, people who uh, we, we have our own idiosyncrasies. We have our own personalities and, and sometimes they clash and, and, and sometimes it, it causes irritations among each other. But we need to be, be perfectly joined together where we can take that those differences and we can mend them together so that we become functional. We become uh, a, a church with purpose. We become a, a congregation that is effective and it again can catch fish and be useful to the kingdom because we've been perfectly joined together. It doesn't matter that, that someone may think differently about a certain issue, but we still come together and we want to find that level of unity that brings us together and makes us function, makes us work and, and be effective in our community. <clears throat> 
And that can only happen when we as individuals come and completely surrender ourselves to Jesus. Surrender ourselves to him to be used of him. And then we can, we can begin to have that knitting together, that mending where we become functional. Let's go back to uh, John chapter 17. Uh, back to Jesus' prayer. Now as we look at the, the prayer overall, um, it's kind of divided up into three parts. Uh, the first five verses, Jesus is praying for himself. And, you know, as a, as a human, the things that he was facing and, and about to go through, uh, he, he prayed for himself. Verses 6 to 19, he prayed for his disciples, those ones that God gave him, that he he worked with, he taught, he spent time with them day after day. And uh, then verses 20 to 26, he prays for all believers. And that includes us. And uh, well, let me just, just go ahead and read the rest of these verses, 20 to 26. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, and they, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am and that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Well, there are several things here that, that Jesus is praying for, and I want to just highlight them. First of all, he wants us to be unified just as the Father and the Son are one. They were one from the, the beginning of, of creation, from the beginning of all time. They have, they've always been one. And even when Jesus was sent to the earth, they were still one. And, and even while Jesus uh, continued his ministry on the earth, they were one. And now they are, they are still one. That Jesus has, has ascended and he returned and he's sitting there with the Father. They are still one. And his prayer is that we would experience the same kind of unity. That, that they experience and that they share. And you may think, how, you know, how can that be? We, we, don't, we can't even understand or comprehend that kind of unity, that kind of oneness that the Father and the Son have. But he goes on to pray this, secondly, that also that we are one with them, 
Not that, that we are just one as they are one, but that we share that kind of unity. That we share that unity with him. We are connected with the Father and the Son. Because Jesus realized that, that his mission of coming to the earth and what he was about to do here in this chapter as he was praying was going to complete that connection that we would have unity with the Father. You see, we, we call it the high priestly prayer because well, that's, that's what it was. He is being the high priest as no other priest has ever been before. There have perhaps been some great high priests, but none like Jesus. He is the only one that could complete uh, that gap, could bridge that gap from us to the Father. The, the, the other high priests, all they could do was was connect us into the holy place where, where they had access. But Jesus completed that, where we have absolute, complete oneness with the Father. And so that's what he's praying for in verse 22. Furthermore, uh, the third one, he says, he's praying that the world may believe and know that he was sent. And so here it's, it's, it's getting more down into to our own experience. Not that we just simply have this relationship with the Father, but there's a purpose behind it. It's so that the world can see and know and understand that we have something that is beautiful, something that, that uh, no other people has ever experienced before before Christ came and, and, and he connected that relationship to the Father. And so when people see that, that they would know and they would see that there is a unity there. Fourthly, he said, he prays that we would be made perfect in one. Verse 23, or, or being brought into complete unity is the way another translation puts it. Brought into complete unity. And, and so here it's, we're, we're, move, we're shifting from this unity with the Father now to unity among each other. The fifth one, he prays that the world would know his love. Verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so it's not only just that unity, but they would see something real, something genuine in that unity, that there is a love between the Father and his people, his, his children, his church, and that that becomes something that is attractive to other people, that the world would know his love. Number six he prays that we can be with him and behold his glory, verse 24. That we would not just be here and experience it, but someday we would be with him. And where he will finally complete um, his purpose to bring us into his presence. You know, the, the, the holy place in, in the tabernacle was always, and in the temple was always a place that, that no one could go except the high priest. 
and no one else could, could go there. But Jesus is completing that as the perfect high priest. And he's praying that. He's actually praying that someday we will be with him and we can experience what he experiences. And then finally, the seventh one I have here, he's praying that, or he's acknowledging that he is truly our intercessor, our high priest, the only one that has that intimate knowledge of the Father. Verse 25, he says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. He's, he's saying that there's, there's knowledge in, that I have that they don't know, but I want them to know it, and I want them to experience it. And this is all in, in Jesus' prayers. He is about to uh, finally walk that path and, and sacrifice himself. And what a beautiful picture that is, that we would all be one. This morning, I don't know um, how you feel about the oneness that you share uh, in your congregation. Um, I feel extremely blessed at, in our congregation. There's a real sense of unity, and I appreciate it. doesn't mean we all think alike. We don't all act alike. We certainly don't look alike. And, um, and we don't always do things alike. But there is a sense of unity that I appreciate immensely. And I don't know your congregation very intimately in, in that level, but I trust that you can experience that kind of unity that is, is focused around Jesus Christ, the, the high priest, the one who is who was praying this prayer for us, for the church, for all people, that we would experience that kind of unity that, that only comes when, when we forsake all of those differences and we focus upon one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ being the head of the church, the high priest, the, one, the only one that could bridge that gap for us, and we all come to that level. You know, when we, we have that understanding, it makes some of those differences just fade away. And, and we, can, we can lay those things aside, and we can be joined in unity. And not only that, we can experience it, but others will see it. People will see it. They will, will see that unity that you have. And they're going to want it too. They want to be a participant of it. And you can invite them to share that same unity if they follow the same procedure and be joined together through Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. Shall we have a song?